Father, we thank you and praise you for giving us this ability to come into your house, whether it's in this, in this room or by streaming, Lord God. We count it an honor to still be alive and well and to be able to hear your word and be challenged on this day. I pray that what the word of God that we receive on today would, would take root and grow and that we will use this information to go out and bless others. And Heavenly Father, as always, I count it an honor to serve you in Jesus' name. Amen. Our text for today is taken from Proverbs 21, and you'll see it in your notes. It says, every way of a man is right in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the heart. To do righteousness and justice is more acceptable to the Lord than sacrifice. So every man's way is right in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the heart to do righteousness. He challenges, he, he encourages us. To do righteousness and justice is more acceptable to the Lord than sacrifice. So our topic for today is called passionately committed to the right thing. So come and say passionately, passionately. Committed, committed to the right thing. Your question for today is how do you determine when something is right or wrong? Now, to many of us, it's like it's, it's clear. You know what's, that's, that's wrong. You shouldn't have done that. But for some people, they feel as if it's right. I remember it was a, a saint, a believer we had in, in church. Um, when I say saint, I'm talking about a saint, a person who claims to love Jesus, um, said he had a, a habit in his past of, of lifting things, that's stealing, and <laughs> just graciously lifting and, uh, and so he got delivered from lifting, but he, had a, he was in a financial crunch, and so he saw, you know, a cash can to the side, and he thought, well, maybe this is God providing, meeting a need. And so he chose to lift because he felt like he had a need, and because he had a need, he had the right to take it, you know, and it's like, and he was taken to jail, praise the Lord, because that was not right. But for some people in his mind, it was the right thing to do because he had a need. Some people get into these altercations and arguments and, and fights and so forth because they said that person disrespected me. They got in my face. They did something I didn't like. So I have the right to go in and get back in, in his face. So in their mind, that is right. To somebody else, it's wrong. So that's why Proverbs 21 says, every way of a man is right in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the heart. So the question is, how do you determine when something is right or wrong? I'm a firm believer that your definition of right and wrong is based upon data given, information given. Just like your computer is only as effective as the information within the computer where, where, or, or the source of its material, it's, oh, your, your definition of right and wrong is, only, is based upon the information given. You have a written manual in your life. You've had in your life a verbal manual. And in your life, you've had a personal manual. And a written manual, it's you've had textbooks, um, papers where your mom put uh, something on a piece of paper and say, well, what, what is this? Um, you've had, even from grade school, they showed you a picture of, of an apple, and, and they say, well, what is this? And the kids say, an apple. And what color is it? Red. You know, you have all those various things that's taught in, in a classroom. Um, for example, something that, that most of us who have some years on us, we heard um, Humpty Dumpty sat on a wall. Humpty Dumpty had a, 
all the king's horses and all the king's men. Okay, you had the same book. That did not necessarily was made up by grandma or your mom. It was actually in, in a book, and it, was, and it was on printed material, and it was passed down in generations. And you actually have that data where if someone says Humpty Dumpty, the first thing you think of is he sat on a wall. So that's why you have the written manual. You have a verbal manual, something that your parents have told you, and, they, and to them they have never written it down, but they told you what it is. For some of you, you have that special little rep recipe. It might be a recipe of macaroni and cheese, and, and it's like it's a way my grandmama does macaroni and cheese. She did not write it down. She just say, baby, I'm telling you, you use these three cheeses or these four cheeses, and then you do it. You got to put it in order, baby. You know, whatever it is, it's that verbal instruction. That's verbal data that came into you. Uh, some verbal data that my mom gave, gave all of us was that going to college was not an option. It wasn't written. It wasn't anything I saw in a textbook. She just looked at us and said, you're going whether you, wanted to, you want to or not. So that's why my, my phrase that I say to people is that, you know, going to college, even if it was to get a degree in dog catcher, was a requirement. It doesn't matter what you got it in. The process of going to college was going to advance you in your future. That was a per part of our verbal manual. So everyone in my immediate family and even all my moms, even though she's going to be with the Lord, all her grandchildren and her great-grandchildren and her great-great-grandchildren will be going to college. Because I can see her from heaven and say, uh-uh, y'all, breaking the verbal manual, you know. So that's just a part of, of who we are. That's a part of the data received. And then you have a personal manual. Some things in life, some of the information that you have gathered into your life is not something that you read. It's not something that your family gave you, but it's a personal conviction that you have. You have some people, and you, you say, I never taught them that. Where did they get that from? It's a part of their personal manual. And I have certain things in, in my life that it's like, well, my mom didn't do it like that, and I didn't read it, but this is my personal conviction. So those are the three sources that feed you, that help you determine whether something is right or wrong. And we're going to look today at what I call a right-wrong moment, and it's in Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10, verse 13. Now, before I do Mark chapter 10, verse 13, I want to bring to your attention that in the book of Mark, it, it's a, a way, uh, one of the ways in which the life of Christ was chronologized. And, and in Mark chapter 10, from Mark 1, 2, 3, 4, you had Jesus not only recruiting his disciples, but he was healing people. He, he healed a paralyzed man. He, he healed a shriveled hand. He, he even walked on, on water. He calmed the storms. He uh, fed 5,000 with, uh, with loaves, with five loaves and two fish. He uh, healed a deaf man. He healed a blind man. He did all sorts of things, you know, from Mark chapter 1 all the way through Mark 9. And then even in Mark 9, he, while he was trying to encourage the disciples and tell the disciples, I won't be with you long. You know, I need you to get all this data. I need you to get all this information so you can keep things going when I'm gone. And they're like, no, 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 you're not going anywhere. And he was saying, yes, I am. So I need you to notice all the things that I have done. Notice the healing. Notice the teachings. Notice the principles that I've shared with you uh, time and time again. And he even shared a principle with them in, in Mark 9, and it's not in your notes, where he took a little child, placed a little child in front of them, 
And he, taking the child in his arms, he said, whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me. As a matter of fact, it's one of um, a little picture we have in children's church, and it has this verse on it. So it says, whoever welcomes a little child in my name welcomes me. Whoever welcomes me does not welcome me, but welcome the person who sends me. So we see that kids are important to Jesus. And then in verse 42, it says, if anyone causes one of these little ones or anyone who is a believer to stumble, you're better off having a millstone wrapped around your neck and tossed in the depths of the sea. That's something a lot of us heard in, in our Sunday school classes where Jesus Christ said, don't, don't mess with my children now. Because you mess, you mess with my little ones, you mess with my little people, or even if you mess with my, those who believe in me, you are better off taking a millstone, wrap it around your neck, and just going and jump in, because you're going to be in trouble if you touch them. Okay? So this is all of the data, the information that was given prior to Mark 10. So now let's look at Mark 10, what I call a right-wrong moment. People were bringing little children to Jesus for him to place his hand on them, but the disciples rebuked them. When Jesus saw this, he was indignant. He said to them, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly, I tell you, anyone who will receive the kingdom of God like a little child, will, will, uh, anyone Anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And he took the children in his arms, placed his hands on them, and blessed them. Here we see a right-wrong moment. You have a right moment. The right moment is that parents chose to bring their children to Christ. It was intentional. It was a good thing. It's a good thing for you to purposely bring your children, your grandchildren, your nieces, your nephews, to, to church. Now, am I saying that bringing them to church is bringing them to Christ? No, it's, to me, the biggest ministry that you have is within your home. It wasn't the responsibility of, of children's church or a Sunday school in order to expose Christina and, and Ricky to Christ. It was our responsibility to, to expose them to Christ. But you have a support system, and you don't deny them any opportunities to actually bring them to Christ. I, I never could understand it when uh, uh, a parent says something like, well, you've been bad, so I'm not going to let you go to the church. You know, you've been bad, so I'm not going to let you go to Jim Jam. Or you're not, you haven't been good enough to, you know, to, to, go, to go to camp where you're going to hear about Jesus for five hours. You know, it's like, my God, take, away some, take away a toy, take away, you know, television, take away, but don't take away Jesus. You know, you have to be intentional when it comes to, they, these parents had an, a, a wonderful right moment. They made a decision that even in the midst of the masses and, and understand with all the healing going on, that a whole lot of people, the group, the crowd got bigger and bigger and bigger. And then, remember, not only was Jesus doing a whole lot of healing, he was feeding people. And you know people come out for a free meal. It's like, oh, my gosh, when he fed that 5,000, not including women and children. It's like, ooh, that man has the ability to take a little bit of food and multiply it. I want to see that. So you can imagine what his crowd looked like, and it was filled with children. And so you had these masses and masses of people, and here these parents are like, oh, I'm going to get my, I want my child to experience Jesus. I want my child to touch Jesus, to come in contact, even in the airspace of Jesus. That is a right thing. Come on, say, that is a right thing. Right. 
that is the right thing. But then, then the leaders, then the disciples, then the good old church folk, they decide, no, 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 you're you being a bother. You're being a bother. So they had a wrong moment. The disciples rebuked them. And one of the versions say, they shoot them away. Say, oh, no, 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 go on, now go on. You know how you do little kids, and they're coming on up, and they're all excited. And it's like, no, baby, go on, go on, go on. I've seen them, you know, they come rushing up. They'll come rushing up to the stage. And sometimes it's the right moment. Sometimes they don't need to rush up here while pastor's up here. But, you know, they come rushing up. And, and it's a way in which you do it. There's a way to say, no, baby, this is not the time. You know, you need to go back to your mom. Or he's like, no, no, you're shooing them away. Here it says the disciples rebuked them. Disciples felt like the kids coming to Jesus was out of order, and also he felt like it was just a waste of time. They felt like, why are you bothering? Here Jesus is ministering to all these thousands of people. He's healing them, and he's doing all these wonderful things, healing the blind, and then you're going to come up here with some little kids. Really? You know, but remember, they called themselves being a blessing to the same person who said, if you touch my little one, you might as well just take a millstone, wrap around your neck, and jump into, be tossed into the depths of the sea if you mess with these kids. But the, even the disciples had a wrong moment. So understand, as believers, we need to receive this. If the disciples had an oops moment, surely we can. So we see a right moment, we see a wrong moment, then we see a corrected moment. Jesus did not hesitate to make, to make the necessary adjustments. Jesus adjusted the wrong processing of the disciples. Now, did it make him a little perturbed and frustrated? Of course. Jesus was a little disappointed and a little indignant, it says, because understand he had done all this traveling, all this healing, all these examples, and when he sat there before all of them and had all this clarity, clarity that says, okay, don't mess, not only don't mess with my children, but don't mess with those who believe in me. You know, they're like, you know, it's like, that's my special little group right there, so don't do it. And for them to turn around and, and do it anyway can be a bit frustrating. But instead of, of Jesus just having a fit, he used it as a teaching moment. He allowed the children, he corrected his disciples, and he said, allow the children to come to me, and he blessed them. So you see that Jesus did not hesitate to correct the error Jesus allowed the children to come to him, and Jesus used that moment as a teaching moment. Now, the part that I love the most, because you expect Jesus to use this as a teaching moment, but the part I love the most is that the disciples accepted the correction. Because Jesus could have said, now, didn't I just tell y'all in chapter 9, don't mess with my kids in chapter 10, you sitting here shooing them away. Okay, you fired, and you fired. I just got rid of three disciples. Anybody else want to be a disciple? Raise your hand. You gone. You get another job. Go, go back to whatever it is. Go back to fishing. You know, he didn't do that. He used it as an opportunity to correct and adjust. And the disciples apparently accepted the correction and adjustment. That's something we as believers have to do. You cannot be right all the time. You can declare up and down your processing is absolutely correct. But when you find out, the moment you find out that you had a wrong moment, you need to be correctable, adjustable, and you need to be correctable without being offended. Without being, how can you be a, a part of the 
I'm a soldier in the army of the Lord, but I don't want no bullets to come to me in the army. I don't want nobody talking about my uniform in the army of the Lord. I don't want nobody saying mean to me, pushing me in the army. What kind of army is that? You've got to be tough enough to take whatever it is, people, the era that people have, and even if it's your era. There is a sermon that Christina actually shared with us um, on, online, and it's, it's, about, it's, it's about people, our tendencies to be offended. And so it's a powerful sermon, and Pastor told me to send it to every single one of our members in the database. So when you see it, you, that's, that's the sermon. And, it, it, and the concept is that sometimes we miss God's blessings totally because we fall according to the trick of the enemy, and that's you are offended. You're offended because you came to church and nobody said good morning to you. You're offended because you thought they cut their eyes at you. If they did, then let their eyes cut. <laughs> you know, but <laughs> don't you let that bother you. You cannot be successful and you are easily offended. So we see here, he had a right moment, or they had, he, we saw a right moment, a wrong moment, a corrected moment. So you have to consider, is your passion to do right impacting or hindering a person? Is your passion, your determination to do your definition of right, is it hindering someone or is it encouraging someone? Just like my, my passion for education and just, I, I know that for some of the people who were up here, it was uncomfortable. It's like, oh my gosh, I'm standing in front of people. But their testimony, their presence alone, hopefully was an encouragement to some of you. But sometimes our passion is not an encouragement, it's a hindrance. Just like I have a passion when I see a young adult male my goal is for them to be as successful as possible. Even if I see a teen male, I want to be as successful as possible. And I understand that they're going to be judged, first of all, by appearance. So if they're going to be judged, first of all, by appearance, that means that they could be the most wonderful persons in the world, but they can't have the thug face and the thug attire. If they have the pants sagging and all that, so what's up, what's up, what's up? You know, it's like I understand that because in my generation they had, you know, the little... You know, everybody's got, got that in your generation. But you have to understand that people are going to judge you by appearance. So my passion is to say, come on now, straighten up your face. My passion is to say, come on, pull up your pants. You need a belt. Do I need to get you a rope to pull your pants back up? You know, my passion is to say those various things. But if I have someone who doesn't know me, I don't have a relationship with them like that, and they finally come into the church, the last thing they need is some sweet little elder in the church talking about, baby, don't come up in the church like that. You know, take that hat off your head. You they don't even know you. You're snatching off hats. You know, baby, next time, that skirt kind of short. And, you know, I just love you. But, you know, don't, please don't come up in the house of God with that little bitty skirt on. They don't need to hear that. Your passion to do right is being a hindrance. I'd rather have them with the little bitty skirts on and come in and hear the word of God and then allow the Holy Spirit to do whatever convicting. And I'm telling you, I'm, I'm very liberal. You know, it's like if we could take pictures of some of us back at our day, I know I'd be one of those where the, the saints would have just sat me down many days. And as a matter of fact, when I got saved, I was corrected many times. But I'm so grateful that I had a mom who said, don't pay them no attention. You know, I taught you the word of God. 
what you have on your body does not determine your salvation. Amen. I'm so grateful for that. I'm so grateful for that. But you have to understand that, that make sure that your passion to do right is encouraging a person and not offending a person. We see finally in Romans 12 and 2. If you consider the question, how do you determine if something is right or wrong? You are constantly gaining data. You're constantly gaining information so you can have clarity. You have, just like you had to constantly get information to know that it's a red circle. And you may say square or whatever it is, or it's orange. No, you had to constantly feed the information until the child said it's red. You have to constantly feed them written information, verbal information, in order to help them determine what's right and wrong. But even having all the information like the disciples had all throughout the book of, of Mark, you have in Romans 12 and 2, it says, be not, be, be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Sometimes when you're not certain, is this right or wrong, you, your learning process is continuous. You're always gaining information. That's why you pray. That's why you read. You read not only your regular material, but you read the Bible. That's why you come to small group Bible studies. That's why you come to church, so you can learn and you can have your mind renewed. It was being exposed to the Word of God that my mind was renewed. Understand, I was raised in a household where my, 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 mom, my parents divorced and my mom re remarried. I did not see... a positive examples of a, of a marriage before me. And so in my mind, what was in my database is I trust no man. That was in my database. I don't trust none, and I will not be treated the way my mom was. It will never happen. And so as I received the word of God into my database, I realized that there is a relationship, a plan, a strategy for relationship that I had never seen where you, first of all, love God. He loved God. That's the foundation. Then there's a commitment that we're going to be married till death do us part. That's a commitment. Then I had to do one of the hardest things in my life, which is the Bible says that I have to submit to my husband. That means allow him to take lead. And, oh, my God, it's like if you don't trust no man, how are you going to sit there and let somebody lead you? That was new information placed in my database. But it was, I wanted to make sure I did the right thing. And I didn't want my definition of right, if my definition of right is contrary to the word of God, then I need to have my mind renewed so I can have an adjusted definition of right. So that's why the renewing of the mind process is continuous. Every time you're exposed to the word of God, sometimes God will speak to your heart and say, baby, don't do that no more. That was, that was wrong. Go apologize. I didn't apologize to them. They were, they were wrong, too. It's like, no, I want you to apologize first. That's a biblical principle. You go to them and be reconciled. Even if they don't apologize back, you follow what the Bible, what that written manual says, if in doubt. Understand, seek the written manual, and the written manual will renew your mind. And then you can passionately, you can be passionately committed to doing what is right. You can't control the person to the left of you, to the right of you, in front or behind, but you can control yourself, and you must be passionately committed to do what's right. Now, I'm going to take a moment. I want everyone who is 
fifth grade and younger to stand to your feet. You're fifth grade and younger. Fifth grade and younger. That means you're four years old, five years old, six years old, all the way up. I'm not going to do anything to you. You're safe. Remember, Miss Temple loved children. I actually like y'all better than them, but, you know, just don't tell them. <laughs> okay. You know, no, remain standing. Remain standing. I want you to see these kids, and if for no other reason, you need to be, those who are seated, you need to be passionately committed to do what's right because these young people are watching you. You're teaching them. They're learning in, in, uh, in, on, on manuals. They're learning in written manuals. They were learning in verbal manuals, and they're watching your personal convictions. So you are helping to shape what they define as what is right by watching you. Now, I want my teenagers, middle school, remain standing, those who are here. Middle schoolers and high schoolers, stand to your feet. Middle schoolers and high schoolers. They're at extremely vulnerable age. They're always gathering data. They're getting data not only from their, from their, uh, from their teachers and schools and textbooks and friends, and it's material that's coming in all the time, and that material is determining whether uh, it's determining their belief system on whether something is right or wrong. Those who are seated is very, very important that you be adjustable, that you have your mind renewed because they are learning from you. They are watching you. They're looking at how you respond, whether it's in the store or especially within your home. They're watching you and you are helping them determine what is right and wrong. Young adults in the house, you're 18 to 35, 18 to 35, 18 to 35, stand to your feet. 18 to 35. Those who are still seated, I want you to look in the eyes and the faces of these young people. Your actions, your decisions will determine and help shape their definition of right and wrong. If they see you cutting corners and making decisions that is not quite in line with the word of God, you've made an excuse for your decision. You made an excuse for a lying to, to the police officer and made an excuse for lying to the insurance man, an insurance company. You know you, write, you wrote the check and had no money in the bank, but it's like, baby, don't say nothing now because God's going to work it out. They are, you are training them that that is a right decision. You are training them that you can do various things to manipulate your wife. You can do various things to manipulate your husband. You are training them that, baby, this is how you go get a man. You, you look in church, you look all around, and then next thing you know, you send them a little note. They say, I love God. Do you love God? <laughs> you are training them those little subtle tricks. You're training them. So be careful what you define as right and wrong because they're, they're watching you. Then there's a generation that those who are under the age of 50, you're from the 36 to 50, come on and stand to your feet. No, everybody else remain standing, remain standing, remain standing. They're joining you. Now, why did I choose 50? I, I don't know. I just have this personal conviction. Let's see, out of the written manual, the verbal manual, my, Diane's personal manual, that it's just something some people stress about 30. It's like, oh, my gosh, I'm turning 30, and I see a gray hair and all that stuff. It's like, that tells me that, you know, you're not there yet. When it's like, it's 40, oh, my gosh, I'm getting old. You're not there. Something about 50. I don't know what it is. 
It's like when you hit 50, it's like, I ain't studying them. They could cut their eyes. They could say you're fat. They could say whatever. It's like, I don't know what it is. It's Daniel's manual. I don't know. It's like, I don't have to, I can, I know how to cook it if I want to, but I could also go buy it. Praise the Lord. People talk about you. Don't matter. It didn't phase me a bit. You do not pay my bills. That's when those words start coming out when you're 50. That's why I just think, oh gosh, and, and 60 is even worse. It's like, oh my God. <laughs> so for those of you and myself that's still seated, understand it's our example. Our definition of right and wrong is going to impact all of these people in this room. And for some of you, you need your definition of right and wrong is going to impact those who are seated. Something that Ms. Mary from Nigeria said, and for those who came to pastor's birthday party, met her. She said that there is something that they have in the, in, in the African culture where there is honor given to the individuals who are older than them. And she said how they tend to, even if a person is older than them, that they make sure that person is served first. They make sure they eat first. They make sure that they sit down first. They, that's where a lot of our, what we think is just manners, you know, opening the door and saying, yes, ma'am, all of that, we just think, oh, that child has good manners. It's actually a part of our culture that we didn't realize where it came from. Visiting Africa, it was like, oh my gosh, they do that. How did they know that? That was a part of our culture, opening the door and giving honor to those who have some age on them. But understand, you, don't, you shouldn't have honor just because you are, you are seasoned. You should be honored because of the wisdom and encouragement that you bring to those who are still standing. Come on, everyone stand to your feet. Heavenly Father, we come before your throne in the name of Jesus. Thanking you for this word. Most of all, Lord God, thanking you for this challenge. Your word says in Proverbs 21 that every man way is right in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the heart and he challenges us to do righteousness. He challenges us to, be a, to do justice. Your word also says that we are not to be conformed to this world, but to continuously always be transformed by the renewing of our mind. As we get data, as we get information, don't be so full of pride and, and I'm not changing, I know I'm right. Help us, Lord God, to always be willing to grow and change and learn. The process of learning is never, ever ending. And we realize, Lord God, that we're not only impacting ourselves, but we are impacting those generations that come behind us. Help us, Lord God, to be passionate in building our future. And in order to passionately build a future, we must be passionate about doing what is right. We must have clarity and be passionate about it. In Jesus' name. Now continue to keep your heads bowed for a moment. There may be some in the house who say, well, I've heard about these manuals, but you know, as far as the foundational manual, I, I'm aware of the word of God. I'm aware of the process of salvation and giving your heart and life to Jesus Christ, but I've never done it. I've always controlled my own life, did what I wanted to do, where I wanted to go. I made my own decisions. I would not seek God. I would ask God to help if I'm in trouble but I did not yield my life to him. 
understand if that is you, today you can come and ask Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior and be a part of his kingdom by a simple prayer. He made it easy on purpose so that there could be no excuse to reject him. He made it so simple that he says, all you have to do is confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus. Believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, Jesus from the dead. The Bible says, thou shalt be saved. He didn't say you had to stop doing anything, stop talking, stop clubbing, stop. He didn't say all of that. He said, all you have to do is confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus. Believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. Thou shalt be saved. So if there's any in the house who'd love to pray the simple prayer, we're not calling you up. We're not going to point you out. We're not going to do anything. This is you acknowledging before God that you want to have this new life with him by praying a simple prayer. All you have to do is raise your hand and put it back down. All you have to do is raise your hand and put it back down. Hallelujah. Anyone else? And, and those who've made this, prayed this prayer already, you should be praying. Raise your hand and put it back down. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Now there may be some in the house and you say, I've been there, done it. But I made, I, I just went and snatched my life out of Jesus' hands and say, I'm going in my own direction. But today I want a prayer of rededication where, God, I want today to be a brand new day where I yield myself to you. I trust your word. I trust your manual. It'd be my honor to pray with those individuals who want a prayer of rededication. All you have to do is lift your hand and put it back down. Lift your hand and put it back down. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Now, everyone, lift your hands. Let's pray. Say, Heavenly Father, I come before your throne in the name of Jesus. Your word says, if I confess with my mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in my heart, that God raised Jesus from the dead, I will be saved. So on today, I confess. On today, I believe. And today, I receive. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on and give the Lord a hand of praise. Now something that the Bible says is that anytime someone decides to step into the kingdom of God, that means God's rulership, that the angels in heaven are rejoicing. So come on, let's rejoice. Hallelujah.